Hello, hello. Welcome to the Cinema Crew. A rescue off. What could go wrong? It's your classic will-they-won't-they they, in the latest Jurassic World, except it's will-they-or-won't-they-survive mass extinction. You have a grandson? It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, look, I've had no work done. And before he got back to filming some new Alan Partridge, Steve Coogan joined up with Paul Rudd for a big Hollywood comedy. But is it funny? That's this week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Hello, hello, my name's Kyron Wheatley. We're here to sift through cinema's new releases before they're even released. And with a PhD in film, we are joined by Vari McIntyre. Hello. Hello. Dinosaurs aside, what would you clone back into existence? Do you remember Tarzos? Yes. I loved those. <laughs> I'd bring those back. A friend of mine, his mum had like a Tarago, like, you know, one of those big, and he would sit at the back. And he collected them and stuck them on the walls of the Tarago. So every time he got in the car, it was just like Tarzo heaven, <laughs> just surrounded by Tarzos. That laugh is Michael Campbell here from Village Cinemas. Imagine bringing back a time before film piracy is high on the list. Possibly that, or I think I'm going to, I would clone back the Dodo because I think that that had a real rough kind of time. It was like a flightless bird, so it couldn't even do that. And then it's like, you know what? They're all dead. <laughs> just give it another go. I say we shut this whole thing down. Hey, girl, you think what I'm thinking? Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. So if you ask me, there seems to be an era of film where everything just worked, right? It's 1989. And having just finished directing the third in the Indiana Jones trilogy with George Lucas, Steven Spielberg is talking to his writer friend, Michael Crichton, about this hospital screenplay thing, which you and I now know as a little television show called ER, you know, George Clooney. Anyway, so Michael mentions this other book he's writing about dinosaurs, which is called, and you might have heard of this, Jurassic Park. And Steven's like, oh, I'd like to direct the movie, and locks in the deal before the book is even published. And then he gets Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern together, and they make not just the most profitable movie of the year, but of all time, up to that time. So, Jurassic Park, right? It's had a few sequels since then, and they've had a lot to live up to. This era when film never failed. Vari, does Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom succeed or fail? I think it definitely succeeds in what it sets out to do in that it turns Jurassic Park upside down. This feels like a, a new chapter. It began with the, the last Jurassic World movie. This is the second. And it's something that's different to what they've done before. It's like a new chapter. You could say maybe like inspired by Jurassic Park, which I think helps it establish itself as a, as a different movie couplet at the moment. Hopefully trilogy. It feels like there might be another one. So this is set four years after the end of the first Jurassic World. And Fallen Kingdom is about the once dormant volcano that's on the island, Isla Nublar. It's about to cause an extinction level explosion and kill all the remaining dinosaurs. So Owen and Claire, um, that's Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard reprising their roles, they have to go back and save the dinosaurs. But along the way, they discover a conspiracy theory that could threaten the world. And I think what you need to consider with Jurassic Park, or the, like the franchise, is that the movie that came out in 93 and what we have now, uh, they're, two, they're different things. It's turned into an action franchise, whereas the first one kind of wasn't. And if you're happy to accept that this is a big blockbuster action movie and maybe not the kind of interesting family drama that the original was, then I think you're going to have a pretty good time. But it isn't 
the the kind of the Spielbergian magic of the first. It's big and it's broad and it's actiony. Yeah, this has got a little more violence in it as well. So maybe younger kids would be a bit too scared. But it's a lot darker and there's more suspense, so it feels completely different, but with the same characters and the same dinosaurs. What I think is is good is they, you mentioned it a little earlier, is they actually push the franchise forward, though. Yeah. Jurassic Park tends to be the same movie over and over again. People go to a jungle, the dinosaurs get loose, they try and get off the island. And just the idea of this movie... Sorry, Sorry the idea of dinosaurs getting loose. Yeah. <laughs> like they're about to hit the dance floor. <laughs> Get loose. <laughs> but you mean escape. Escape. Yeah. Escape and then get loose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the dinosaurs... But you're uh, right. That's the plot of every Jurassic Park. Right. Film. And just the idea that this now does something different uh, and, and any movie going forward will now be kind of different, I think, is a good move. Baba! Baba! Deep breaths, Franklin. <laughs> How are the special effects? How are the like those big set pieces? You know what? I really appreciated how they used more animatronics than CGI. It yeah. really brings it back to the original. I have very distinct memories of the first movie, the first Jurassic Park, where they're stuck in a tree overnight and a big Brachiosaurus comes along and like sneezes on the little girl. Yep. Um, and it's real. They built that. Yeah, yeah, it's a real dinosaur. It really sneezed yeah. on her. Wow, well, it's not a real dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that. It adds this sort of reality to it when the actors have got something to touch and and interact with and act something to, whereas movies like, and I hate to bring it up, but Twilight, where there's a werewolf and they just use really bad CGI and um, the main character is like trying to interact with it and yeah. it's just so awkward and clunky. So do you reckon best actress in a supporting role, the Brachiosaurus? <laughs> I, mean, what, I remember watching the Jurassic World from a few years ago and the very first shot of it is a CGI dinosaur claw coming out of an egg. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh mm. man, like it's kind of almost lost it. But yeah, you're right. This one goes back to like the puppets. And, <laughs> and even though they look kind of, I guess, less real, something about them, because you know they're there in that environment, it seems like tangible and it seems like a threat. And even the original... Uh, Jurassic Park, which is seen as like a, a mecca of CGI, only had six minutes of CGI in that whole movie. So why it is a big pioneering movie, going back to the practical, is a really good idea, I think. What's the most unexpected thing about that movie? Unexpected <laughs> is an interesting word because we, as we were going to this screening, uh, we were all saying our predictions of what we think might happen. And we were all right, <laughs> which maybe shows that it's not the the big surprising pull the rug out from under you. You will never see this coming kind of movie. It hits the stuff that you think it's going to hit. It just does it well. So do they sort of personify? Like, do the do the dinosaurs have human elements? Uh, yes, for better or for worse. I guess I, maybe I'm a cold, cynical guy. I don't know. But there, there, there <laughs> sounds like there, you do. There, there, there is a scene, and it's not a particularly important scene to the plot, so don't worry about spoilers or anything. There, uh, from an eye socket of a dinosaur comes a single tear down their cheek. So that's do reptiles the, cry. I don't I, know. I don't think so. <laughs> Look, I, but it, that's the kind of schmaltzy angle they've kind of gone with it as well. Do you, are you as cynical as that, Vi? No, <laughs> cold blooded like a lizard. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's the Velociraptors that Chris Pratt has this relationship with. He's 
raise them from babies. They're genetically modified, obviously. Mm. That's why they have more human traits, but that's why you empathize with them more because these dinosaurs have empathy themselves. So you feel sorry for them because they're like, they can feel things. There's And there's there's ideas like Chris Pratt has trained this dinosaur so it, it doesn't attack him because obviously they're like the ultimate predator, these velociraptors. And there's there's scenes where he'll interact with it and he's like, oh, it's all right, girl, I'm here, I'm here. And it kind of gives him a little nod and runs off. And all I can think is, well, that's fine for you, but the next person that dinosaur runs into, <laughs> it's going to rip apart. <laughs> She's dragged. Okay, okay, come on. Are you okay? I'm okay. How is Chris Pratt in this film? He sort of has done a lot of blockbusters lately and seems to keep his comedy chops up through them all. So I think, so Chris Pratt's character, and this is maybe one of my my slight criticisms of the film, is he's he's good at being kind of cocky and, and swarmy and, and whatnot. And say when he's Star-Lord, it's similar except for everyone else checks him because he's not that good and he's not that, you know, he's, he shouldn't be that confident. But in this character, he kind of is the best. So <laughs> it kind of comes off a little bit arrogant. But then when you compare it to, say, Chris Pratt in this compared to Alan Grant, so Sam Neill in the original, Sam Neill was like a middle-aged paleontologist that just got thrown into this incredible situation. And I guess what's so interesting about that character is he's a really regular guy that who has to think his way out of these situations, whereas Chris Pratt is borderline a superhero in these movies. He's beating up military guys. He's training dinosaurs. He's riding motorbikes. It's not quite as relatable to me. So who should see this film? Fans of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, young and old alike. So everyone between the ages of five and eight. <laughs> I didn't realise how much I love dinosaurs until I saw this one again. I was like, yeah, dinosaurs are cool. <laughs> it is really, it's got that action. It's got the, the moral dilemmas. It's got a, a hard-hitting theme about human greed and the responsibility we have um, and how much empathy we can spare for, for animals. And I really liked that. Yeah, if you enjoyed Jurassic World, uh, you're going to love it. If you had problems with Jurassic World, if you're a diehard Jurassic Park fan, those problems are still kind of there. They haven't solved the problems that you may have had. But if you like the big action and you like the kind of the cutting-edge special effects, then I think that this is going is, is to do it for you. So what else is in cinemas this week? We've got Incredibles 2. We talked about that last week. We did. Uh, Ocean's 8, I saw that. That's a lot of dumb fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> like, it doesn't pretend to be anything other than it is, which is just, like, a lot of fun. Like, it's a film about celebrities. And there's something you got to love about when a heist is happening and everything's working perfectly. This, I don't know, like, you feel proud for some yeah, reason? exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's as if you're a part of the heist. Would a heist film ever fail? <laughs> Great point. Probably at the box office. <laughs> we talked about those films last week and the week before, so if you want to listen to that, just click down in your podcast app on the previous apps of The Cinema Crew. You have, like, two dads, sort of. Well, I'm going to be out of here before New Year's. The boy has settled in here in Santa Fe. He's my boy. What if I want to stay? Listen to me. You're not going anywhere. We won't let it happen. It really is the simple things in life that make you happy. <laughs> Paul Rudd, you know, he's been in so many classic comedies, Friends, Anchorman, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and if you had to boil British comedy down to one person, you might end up with Steve Coogan. So this has a hell of a good cast, 
But is Ideal Home a hell of a good movie, Cambo? It's a fantastic movie. And I love these kind of movies. They're kind of they're unexpected and they kind of come out of nowhere and they just they're just so charming and effortless and fun. Uh, so Ideal Home, for people that maybe haven't seen a trailer, is Steve Coogan and Paul Rudd play a bickering couple with a really extravagant life. Uh, and then their world's kind of flipped upside down when uh, a 10-year-old boy turns up claiming to be the grandson of Steve Coogan. And he's got nowhere else to go and they have to start raising this young boy. You know, there are so many movies like this. Three Men and a Baby, No Reservations. There's, I don't know if it's like problematic to have a child save a dysfunctional couple like it happens in this movie. But there are so many of them that get, it's like a child enters your life and two people get together. Yeah. Done. <laughs> problem solved. That'll solve all your problems. Have a kid. <laughs> so, like, if, so if it's showing up in so many movies, why, Cambo, do you say that there's nothing else like this? Well, I mean, sure, that, that trope of a, a child turning up and, and you know turning people's lives upside down uh, only for them to resolve everything isn't new. But the idea that it's being represented in 2018 by a, a gay couple like this, uh, Hollywood's never quite, I guess, been brave enough to do, which I think is is such a good step forward. Well, they still haven't been brave mm. enough to actually cast gay leads. No, but I, I do know something about this. It's it's kind of a, a real, um, you know, a real pain point that a lot of homosexual characters are played by straight actors. But knowing this, because obviously there's a bankability to those stars, the director uh, cast a lot of the straight characters played by openly gay actors. So they've kind of reversed it and and tried to give some kind of representation to both sides. So the director, Andrew Fleming, is gay himself, and it does address a lot of issues like gay parenting and political correctness. So it does touch on some of those issues while the uh, actors themselves aren't gay. Um, it does bring into question some authenticity about a queer cinema. Like, does it really do justice to the LGBTQIA plus community um, as you get straight male leads? Um, and would it be better served having gay actors? Like, why do they have to have straight actors? I mean, again, the cynical part of my brain says bankability. Because you're right. Like, I, you know, Neil Patrick Harris, a very openly gay actor, he could he could definitely pull this off as well. Mm-hmm. Steve Coogan obviously has a working relationship with the director previously. They've worked together. I can see how that would happen. Paul Rudd is kind of the outlier. But, I mean, I will say that he's also probably the standout of the film as well. And it's important to note that this isn't a quote-unquote gay film. And the fact that they're two dads raising a child... No one ever says, but you can't do that. You're just two men. You need a woman. Like, and I think that's great that it's yeah. at a point now where you don't have to have that scene. It's just an accepted thing. And I think that that is, is a great choice, even if the idea of casting straight actors to play them isn't. Well, it premiered at the Mardi Gras Film Festival. Is it going hard for a queer audience? Even though it's about these two dads, I don't think it's an overtly sexualized movie at all, one way or the other. They don't. Like no one ever really comments about the fact that they're homosexual or that, no. that you know, and I think that's good. It's just a family drama yeah. that happens just to have two dads. The only reason they can't raise a child is because they're dysfunctional as human beings. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Manny, you old cockhound! I didn't see you there. Cut. You can't say cockhound on basic cable. Do you guys do this at home? Oh no, we don't get along this well at home. Um, so I know, Kyron, at the beginning you said that yeah, this film is a comedy, but the film doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why I think it works. Um, it doesn't play for the laughs. The acting and the directing are subtle enough to allow for comedy to come out of it. 
but it's a really serious issue. They're trying to raise this kid when they don't know how and they don't really want to. Um, the kid's dad is in jail. They have relationship issues, so they're, they're battling a lot of things and, and they're just trying to work out how to raise a human being. Well, you mentioned the directing. Andrew Fleming is probably most famous for his directing of TV, like Arrested Development, Lady Dynamite with Maria Bamford on Netflix, mm. these sort of quirky, oddball comedies. Is that the style of this film as well? Yeah, and it, it's not like, you know, uh, Edgar Wright, the guy that directs Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, he has a real director's style where you can tell it's him by looking at any frame of these movies. This this is filmed very much like a comedy, you know. There's a shot and there's the reverse shot of the other character, but that's not really what makes the film good. What makes the film good is the characters. What makes the film good is the like the emotional beats that it hits. So while he may not have uh he may not have, you know, reinvented the wheel directing-wise, well he wrote it as well. Exactly, he? and he was clever enough to kind of step back and if it was too flashy, you would kind of lose a lot of that. So who should see this film? I I think if anyone is a fan of those kind of sweet comedies, things like um, Crazy Stupid Love come to mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, but it's kind of sweet as well. And you 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 you, you leave the cinema going, oh, that was kind of nice. If you're a fan of those kind of movies, or even specifically a movie from a few years ago called I Love You, Philip Morris, similar yeah, kind of a that. thing. If you loved I Love You, Philip Morris, I guarantee you're going to love Ideal Home. So I mentioned queer cinema before, and while this film isn't going to change the world. It does overall contribute to queer representation in the film industry and to make queer characters more visible in mainstream cinema, and I think that's what it really achieves. And for that reason, I think a lot of people will be interested in this movie. Well, I know that my boyfriend and I have seen it pop up and be like, oh, yep, a couple of gay characters, we'll absolutely see that. <laughs> because there's just, there's just not enough. You know, it's like every, we have to see every single one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, each week, we give away a Village Cinema's Gold Class double pass. Last week, with The Incredibles 2 coming out, we asked you if you could have any superpower, what it would be. Canva, do we have a winner? We do, and like last week, I, I've got an honourable mention. A loser, yes. Yes, and oh. it's so honourable that we wouldn't dare give them the pass. Uh, and, and this is from Brooke, and it's similar to what you said last week, Vara. You said you'd yeah. freeze time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brooke said that she wants the superpower of like time manipulation. So she could cook two-minute noodles in a minute 58 seconds. So wow, I thought she's really looking for every second she can get. But, but what I liked about this is it, it marries your idea of stopping time and my idea of having a really pointless superpower <laughs> into one. Yeah. But the winner this week is, is Michael, uh, not me, a different Michael. Oh, yeah. He said, uh, if I could purchase any superpower upgrade from the superpower online store, it would be the time travel upgrade because... Even though it's by far the most expensive upgrade, I could travel back in time and reverse the credit card charge. What? <laughs> yeah, get your I head guess. around that. So, pet- so pedant. I know. <laughs> but you, you can have anything in the world, and you're reversing credit card charges? I see a heist movie. <laughs> uh, thank you for writing in. I will email you that Gold Class Double Pass. Well, for your chance to win this week, a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, we're after your answer to the question... If you could clone anything back into existence, what would it be and why? To win, send your answer and contact details to win at thecinemacrew.com.au. Next week, we'll find out if Hotel Transylvania needs a third instalment, because it's already got one. And I'm pumped about this, because I only watched Sicario the other day, and I really liked it. Sicario 2 is coming out, and Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro are back in the lead roles. And I haven't heard much about romantic films this year. Uh, It's been all superheroes and dinosaurs. So I'm excited to hear about a drift in which a young sailing couple find themselves, well, adrift. Uh, Until then, thank you, Cambo. Thank you. Thank you, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.